Good morning. Thank you. That usually never works. Uh, my name is Evan Park. For those of you who I, whom I have not had the chance to meet yet, it is great to uh, get to see you all today. A little bit about myself. Uh, I love the fact that I get to speak here at LGM. Specifically, LGM has been a home to me for many years of my life. All throughout college, I was here. Uh, and even after college, I can't seem to get away from LGM. But it's not like the Michigan curse, if anyone's heard of the Michigan curse. It's this idea that those who are born in Michigan, no matter how hard they try to get away from life, they just can't ever leave their home nest. It's the total opposite. Like, no matter how much life pushes me away from LGM, I just want to find more and more reasons to come back and more, more and more reasons to be here with you all. I've seen the way that God's worked here. I've seen the way that God has been moving in the people. And so it's always great to be with you all today. Uh, as Jason mentioned, we are not going to be doing the scripture reading beforehand. So just keep your Bibles on you. We will be doing those together. Uh, a second note, if you notice, there's a lot of newcomers today. Um, I did not tell them this, but they are actually my cheerleader crew, whom I've invited out here. They're my friends, my family, whom I love very much. So if you hear people laughing a little bit too much at my lame jokes, that's who they are. And also, if you could, for you guys, after service, do your guys' job. Show them what a great family I know LGM to be, and then welcome them afterwards. All right, enough intro, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you so much that we get to be here. God, thank you that you have, uh, in many ways, blessed us. Lord, we uh, celebrated 4th of July this past weekend. And even though our country, as well as every other country in the world, has things that it's working through, God, we thank you that we have such a privilege to be able to be here, God, to worship you freely, God, to be in a country that is rich in Christianity, God, to know more about you. God, we thank you for the privilege of your word. God, we pray that ultimately we would come to know you through this time, God, that we would ultimately come to draw closer to you. So I pray, God, that you would convict us in any way that you have for us. Thank you, Father. We love you in your prayer. Amen. So if you've ever turned on the news and you've seen an airplane on the television, you know that that plane is not going to make it, right? Like you've never seen a plane just peacefully take off, gently fly, and safely land. It never happens on the news. And yet we look at our own lives and we fly a lot and we realize that that doesn't really happen in real life. Like generally most of us feel very trusting, and we trust the planes that we fly a lot. It usually never crashes, and we never think that anything bad is going to happen to us well, until it does. There's a famous Christian rapper. His name's Andy Minio, and in his most recent album, he tells about a story where things on a plane took a rather unfortunate and intense turn. Now, obviously, it wasn't fatal for him because he lives to tell the tale, but in the story, he's in LaGuardia Airport, and he's walking towards his plane, and he looks out in the window, and all he sees is just this gray heavy clouds spanning across the whole sky. And it's so heavy that it's covering this whole sky with this tint, in which case the only thing darker than it is, well, nighttime itself. And as he's walking, he's thinking to himself, it looks like a thunderstorm is about to brew. You know, like his spider sense is a little tingling a little bit. And he's thinking to himself, this doesn't seem quite right. Like he's checking his phone app, thinking to himself, this plane should be delayed, this should be canceled. It doesn't feel like it's going to be a safe trip. And sure enough, though, he's thinking that he's thinking all these doubts, and he gets on the plane, and before he knows it, the plane is starting to roll towards the runway. Well, as it's rolling towards the runway, he looks out in the cabin, and he realizes that he's not the only person. People all around are checking outside the window, looking at the sky, checking their phone apps, checking to see, is this a mistake? Should we turn back now? And yet, the plane reaches the runway, and it pauses. And you can just feel this tension in the air. And sure enough... When he thinks it's about to turn right back, well, the plane starts to roll. 
and it gets faster and faster and faster and faster, and it just takes off the runway before you hear over the intercom attention. There's going to be a lot of turbulence, and he's like, oh, I feel great about that now. And he's in the air, and sure enough, as soon as they enter the clouds, the plane starts to rock gently at first, and then more violently and more violently. And he starts to do that up and down roller coaster feeling in his stomach, but not in a good way at all. And he's just thinking to himself, this is a mistake. And he's grabbing onto his armrest thinking, this is it. I know, Andy, I'm talking to myself, but I know that this is a little bit extreme, but I feel like something bad's going to happen and I'm going to crash. And as they enter the clouds, well, suddenly through the windows, everything just gets dark as they enter through the thicker and thicker clouds. And soon before he knows it, he cannot see anything through the airplane. And so in this shaking monster that he's in, he looks outside, and what he sees next, he can never anticipate. And what he sees next, we all will talk about later. So hold that thought. We are in a series called Practical. Pastor Steve started it off for us. It is a pleasure to be continuing what he's doing while he's on sabbatical. He started, if you want to do some recap, this series is talking about how we take our faith in Christ, not just in a theoretical sense, not just in a heart sense, but how do we live it out in real life? How do we live things out practically? In the first talk, he talked about how we need to practice our faith. How it can't just be a one-time thing, how we need to repeatedly practice and practice and practice living up to God's morals and values. And then next week, he talked about the importance of putting down our phones and creating a space for stillness and silence where God can speak in. After that, he talked about how even though God is everywhere, specifically in nature, we can find and connect with God in a different way that can help give peace amidst our anxieties. And today, we are going to be talking about a question that all of us have asked to some degree, a question that is so prevalent in our society, and it's a very simple question. This question is simply, how long? How long? And this question we ask all the time. For me, the number one question I've been asking this whole entire summer is, how long is mosquito season? Right? Like, am I the only one who feels this way? I almost can't wait for winter. All right? I can't wait for a Michigan winter because then at least they'll all die. Or like hibernate or migrate. Whatever they do. I don't really care. I just want them to be gone from here. Not only that, for the college student, I imagine that some of you have started like your first jobs. Uh, some of you might be thinking to yourselves, oh my gosh, taking exams isn't that bad actually <laughs> compared to doing all this 8 to 5, 9 to 5. And you might be thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, how long is it until, oh the irony, until school comes back. I want to be a student again. Another one, how long is the weather forecast going to tease us every single day? Because you look at the weather forecast and it's raining, 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 and you get there and it's actually quite clear. And making a beach trip is so hard to plan and it gets really frustrated. I'm not bitter. After that, how long are Michigan athletics going to disappoint us? Like, actually, like they're pretty good in actuality, but they make it really, really, really far, and then they just let us down in all the big moments and just crumble beneath us. Someone asked me... Um, couple times before the sermon, how long is the sermon going to be? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you, but just settle in. We're just getting started. You see, people all around the world, we hate to wait. See, Ryan, it must be true. We hate to wait because it makes us feel like powerless, and this sense of powerlessness comes from not knowing where things are going to go. Uh, typically, people in America or people who come from wealthier countries like Korea nowadays, we struggle with this idea a little bit more than everyone else because we live in cultures of immediate accessibility. In other words, we live in cultures where usually we can get whatever we want whenever we want it. And if we can't get it now, we can figure out ways how to get it or we know when it'll come later. 
whether that be because we have the money or the healthcare or the things we take for granted, like the internet, education. We have these resources at our disposal where normally we can solve all of our requests pretty easily. I have a friend. He's a user experience designer. Um, he has this blog on design work in which case he's writing about the specific topic of how artificial intelligence, like things like Google, Siri, uh, any Bixby users in the house? I thought not. It sucks. So all these things and how they're actually changing us as people. The more we use these things, the more it's actually changing our character. And the people that we become as we use artificial intelligence more and more and more are more entitled and more impatient people. The other day, I was um, driving in my neighborhood, and I thought to myself, we just went to this Hillsong concert a couple weeks ago. I want to listen to some Hillsong music. So I put my phone on my dashboard thinking, I don't want to type it in. I'll just talk to it instead. And I ask it. I don't want to set up any phones in this room right now. So I say, blah, 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 Google, please put on the song Not Today by Hillsong United. Well, the wheel starts to spin as it thinks. And in its brilliant British accent, which I gave it, which I will not replicate for you guys here, it says, I'm sorry, sir, I don't know how to help out with that request. So I say, it's okay. One more time, blah, 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 blah. Google, please put on Not Today by Hillsong United on Spotify. The wheel spins a little longer, just nothing. I'm sorry, sir, I don't know how to help with that. I'm just getting kind of frustrated now. I say, okay, and you start to enunciate, you know, like, blah, 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 Google, please put on Not Today by Hillsong United on Spotify. The wheel spins, and it says, sure, now playing Not Today by BTS. And I'm like, <laughs> how did that, when did K-pop become so big that this small country has music that trumps over all of Christian, like the most popular Christian band? And not only that, I'm thinking to myself, what's going on? Like, why am I getting so frustrated at this device? Like, I'm thinking to myself, this is the dumbest smartphone of all time. I'm just kidding. I'm sure it's not Samsung's fault. Siri would do much better. But we do these things, and we think to ourselves, what's going on? Because the reality is is that even though we know that artificial intelligence is different than uh, people, we're starting to see that the translations of our culture are translating over to how we interact with people And this drives us crazy when things like this happen because we realize that we've been living a lie. See, all throughout life we're told this false idea. And this false idea is that the world is at our fingertips. If we just try really, really, really hard, if we study really, really hard, we can accomplish it. And the reality is is that we realize we have limitations. And we try these things and we try really hard and we get to pockets of our life where we just realize we cannot, whether that be because there are just forces working against us, there's systems in place, or there's people, or we just physically cannot do these things, and it drives us crazy because we don't want to wait. And for all of us, this struggle can be amplified when this waiting is during actual hardships, when things are tough, when things are messy, when things are complicated, and life seems to be lagging, and well, so does God. We talked about some of those how long questions, and there were sort of jokes before, but what happens when these questions get like less innocent or more intense or more difficult? For example, God, how long is my family going to have tension with each other? God, how long is my loved one or my friend not going to be a Christian? How long am I going to suffer with this illness? How long am I going to struggle with this addiction? God, how long am I going to struggle to find true, lasting friendships? How long will I remain single and unmarried? How long will we struggle financially? How long will I keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again? How long will it be before things actually get better for once? How long 
will I feel the way that I'm feeling? And we pray these things over and over and over again, and nothing seems to really change. God, how long is it going to be like this? And if we've ever asked this question to God, how long? Well, then we are in good company. Because in the passage that we're going to be looking at today, the author David is wrestling through very similar questions of how long. But David doesn't just ask the question how long. He also asks three other questions which we need to also process through if we find ourselves in these long bouts of silence. So, give your Bibles with you. Uh, open up to Psalm 13. If you want to use the pew Bibles in front of you, these blue ones, it's on page 453. Psalm 13, page 453. And like I said before, we will be referencing this throughout the sermon, so keep it open. We'll be jumping around. Once again, if you're using the Pew Bibles, page 453, Psalm 13. Uh, I'll be reading it. All right, so David asked the question, how long? But he doesn't just ask the question, how long? He also asks the question, well, he has three more questions. And what are these three questions for our own lives? Let's read together. Verse 1, I'll be reading. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Let's pause here. David doesn't just ask the question, how long? He also asks the question, God, do you care? God, do you care about me? And if he's going to make it through this long bout of silence, he needs to answer this question for himself. God, do you actually care for me. In our, day, in our modern day of uh, technology, texting is a very controversial thing. Like Everyone's got their own viewpoint of texting, right? Generally, the world sees it as a positive thing. The older generation typically thinks it's ruining the younger generation, and they're probably right. The hipsters tend to hate it, like they hate everything. And so everyone's got these different opinions about texting, but there's one universal truth, and if I can get one amen today, please let it be for this. Can I get an amen to the fact that group texts are the worst? Amen. Thank you. Group text are the worst, especially when some Android person comes and makes it all ugly green, right? No, go Android. Anyway, and I can go on and on and on as to why group texts are awful, but I'll talk about one today. And within every group text, there's always one or two people who fulfill this one role, and this role is called the ghost. All right, if you're not familiar with the ghost, is the ghost is that person you forget is even in the group chat at all because they just never respond. The only indication that they're there is that they say red by. Read by, seen by, seen by, seen by. And they're so frustrating because you start to think to yourself, if you're the other people in the group chat, you think to yourself, yo, do you even care about the group? Like, I admit it. Sometimes it's healthy to not answer right away. Like, there's a certain health to that. Pastor Steve said that a couple weeks ago. But when it's every time, and you're thinking to yourself, my plans are more important than the group's plans, even though they're trying to answer something right now, I'm just never going to respond, you start to wonder, is there something more? Because we all forget, right? We all forget to respond. And when that happens, there's a little bit of harm in the group chat, but there's not much foul because we all forget. But when you ghost someone, it's a little bit different. It's intentional, right? It takes it up a notch and it says, I'm not only forgetting, I'm actually ignoring you. And that is much harm and much foul. And this is what David's saying in this first verse. He's saying, God, are you forgetting me? Like, that's one thing to say, and that hurts but it's understandable because people forget. But then he takes it up a notch because he's not content with that. And he says, God, are you hiding yourself from me? Like, are you ghosting me? 
as weird as that sounds. And he, he wrestles with this question, and it hurts him even more because one seems very intentionally disinterested in him. And like David in verse 2, many of us take counsel in our own souls. We run to the things that we think are actually going to help us out. We run to our self-medication. The Bible calls these idols, our friends, our family, our technology, our sleep, our quote-unquote self-care. Like All these things are not necessarily bad, but we run to them and we replace our refuge of God with these things. And ultimately, we replace the caretaker with the things that he's given to us to care for us. I recently heard a pastor. He was talking about um, the question, does God love us? And he said something about it so simple, but it was very profound. And made me pause. He said like this. He said, if you're in the church and someone comes up to you and says, do you know that God loves you? What do you say? Well, most of us would say, if we've grown up in the church, well, duh. Like, for the Bible tells me so. Like, it's a song. I know the song. Okay, good. Let's rephrase that. Do you know that God cares about you? Yeah, I think so. Rephrase that. Do you know that God likes you? Huh. Do you know that God enjoys your jokes? He thinks that they're funny. He enjoys spending time with you. He thinks your mannerisms are cute. He actually enjoys when you tell stories. He enjoys everything that you do. He likes you so much. Do you know that? And I think a lot of us, we need to pause a little bit longer about that one. See, some of us, we may not know if God actually loves us, even though we've said it all of our lives in church, that of course God loves me. We look at our lives and we see that it doesn't really match up with that statement, though. David is asking God, God, do you care about me? But that's not all that he asks. He also asks another question. He says, God, do you see what's at stake here in my life? Let's read verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David is pleading with God. He's saying, God, do you see what's at stake in my life? Because I feel like my life is heading down this path that if you don't come and intervene in my life, some bad things are going to happen. What bad things? Well... Like most artists and poets, he says a whole bunch of stuff that no one understands. He says, light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Dramatic, right? And in this, the best way to describe this idea of lighting up your eyes is just, imagine this. So imagine you are in a talk. You're not the talker, you're the recipient. And you're just listening, whether that be like a classroom or like a work meeting or uh, maybe a sermon. And imagine it being really, really hard that imagine you're tired during this talk. And all the hands go up and they say, yup, that's me every single day. Well, in this class, you are fighting through and you're trying to abstain from falling asleep. So you're not doing the awkward head bob. You're not doing the classic LGM phone drop. Boom, 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 boom. If that happens today, no, I'm looking at this side especially. No judgment. I've done it before. And, and you're, even though you don't fall asleep, well, nothing seems to make, make, make much sense at all. Like you have this fog over your head. Like the person is talking and it's just going, it's just like hitting walls. And you can't seem to focus on anything with your eyes. And everything that the voice says is kind of like the Charlie Brown song. And it's just not making much sense. But for those of us who have persevered, for those of us who have pushed through and not fallen asleep, something happens usually where we get this second wind. And in this second wind, all of a sudden, like it's like the veil is lifted. Everything makes sense. You feel like a genius. Everything's like... And you're thinking, you see everything in clear focus. And in this case... 
This is what David's asking for. He's saying, I want that refreshing clarity, like that caffeine fix that's going to just make everything make sense again. Because some of us may feel like we're in this cloud, and if God doesn't come and intervene, then we will sleep, quote-unquote, the sleep of death. And this fog will cover our eyes, and we will suddenly feel like the Bible makes no sense. These claims that people make at church are empty, and nothing ever will fulfill. But that's not all that is at stake for David. David also says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So scholars have looked at this passage, and they don't really know exactly who the enemies are that David's talking about. But most have come to agree upon the fact that this enemy is not really a political enemy, it's not a human enemy, but it's rather an enemy of faith and of spirit. In other words, for a lot of us, we maybe have been praying about something for a very long time. And we've been asking God, like, how long? How long is it going to be like this? We've been trying to do the right thing. We've been trying to talk to that person that God's called us to reconcile with. And it doesn't seem to be working. Perhaps to the point where we think to ourselves, it's not worth it. Like, let's give up. Like, I don't see a point in doing this. I'm losing faith in you, God, and I need you to answer me now, or else I'm going to give up on this. And like David, we can feel like, well, the enemies of our faith. The spirits who are against us who might say, see, I told you, that guy, that child of God, that child of yours, you say, that you brag about all the time, see, he doesn't have that much faith. So he gave up. He didn't really care. His promises were empty. And all these things, and he's thinking to himself, God, I need you to intervene or else this will happen and I'm going to lose faith. And David is deeply troubled. He's asking God, God, do you care? I don't know. God, do you see what's at stake? I don't know. And as you see him spiraling down and down and down, and as you expect him to come and plummet and crash and burn, well, something changes in verse 5. Let's read. Verse 5, David says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I can almost imagine David. He's just sitting there in the dumps. And he's just thinking to himself, God, do you care? I don't know. God, do you see what's at stake? I don't know. But then suddenly when he feels like he's at his breaking point, or maybe he feels like he's already past that, a small thought just goes through his mind. And it's this voice that says, hey, remember when? Remember when that old dude came over to you, poured oil on your head, and said, you're going to be king over all Israel? Like, yeah, I don't see how it's going to work on now, but like, that was really awesome. Hey, remember when you were at that war camp, and like, you weren't even supposed to be there, you were just there for your family, but then there was that Goliath guy, and you said, that guy's blasphemy against my God, I'm going to beat him with the power of my God, and you beat him, and people were celebrating, that was amazing. Hey, remember when, like, let's move, on, let's move away from all the grandiose moments, let's talk about like, the very normal stuff. Like, remember when you, God gave you that friend, and his, his name is Jonathan, you guys had some awesome memories together? Yeah, remember when like, you had the awesome praise session, even though just before that you were just in the dumps and nothing was like working out? Hey, remember when? Remember when? And I can just imagine this mountain of God's faithfulness just building before him. And as his shoulders start to lighten up and his eyes go from the ground slowly, uh, he just sees this mountain of God's faithfulness in front of him. And he realizes, oh my God, literally, oh my God, of course you care about me. How could I forget? 
Of course you see what's at stake in my life. Like, I thought before that you weren't there, but then you actually came through, and I see now in retrospect you were there. God, of course there are answers to these questions that I've been asking. God, you are faithful, and I just forgot. The truth is, for some of us in this room, we may have trouble thinking of times where God's actually come through for us. Like, it seems like God seems to be loving everyone else just a little bit more than he loves us. The way that our lives have played out, it doesn't really seem that God actually, genuinely, fully loves us. But the reality is, is that for all of us, there's a beautiful truth in this fact that we have a perspective that David in this psalm could never have. See, thousands of years later, well, God moved. Before the creation of time and the world, God came to Jesus, Son Jesus Christ, and he said, Hey, Jesus, these people who we're about to create and who we're going to love aren't going to love us back. They're going to sin against us. They're going to rebel against us. They're going to take all of our creation and tarnish it and ruin it. They're going to bring pain and suffering and introduce all these struggles in life. And they're going to just turn and betray us all the time. But I want to love them. And so thousands of years after David, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to this world to become a man like us, to live amongst us, to die for us, and to love us who are unlovely and unlovable. And on the cross, as Jesus was being crucified, well, Jesus had to answer some questions of his own too. In a punishment that felt like an eternity, he also asked the question, in his full humanity, he asked, God, do you care? When he said, why have you forsaken me? He processed through the question, do you see what's at stake in my life? When he said, of course, God, you, Jesus Christ had the most to lose out of all of us. Remember, like, can you imagine what would happen if Jesus had lost? If Jesus had just died and stayed there? If Jesus had backed out? There would be a huge hole in our creation which never be filled and we would all be hopeless forever. Jesus had the most to lose and yet he worked through these questions and in the end he held close to the Father and he said intimately, not my will, but yours. Jesus was killed for us and he resurrected and he defeated death, sin, and evil that we might be guaranteed a life with him. And in doing so, we all have a love from the Father that is greater than we can ever know. We have a love from the Father that is guaranteed with us for eternity. And so for those of us who are in the room who are struggling with this idea of, God, do you really care about me as much as they say? Do you really see what's at stake in my life? Yes. The answer is yes. And please just take hold of this. God loves you with a love more than anyone or yourself could ever love yourself, more than you could ask for. God sees more of what's going on in your life than you could ever envision. And thirdly, David asked the question, God, do you care? God, do you see what's at stake? And in this third question, where he switches it up a little bit. First two questions, he's talking to God. He's saying, God, do you? God, do you? But in this third question, he brings it back to himself, and he says, do I? It happens, actually, right between verses 4 and 5. And he says, self, do I trust I trust God. And this last question is a little bit harder for us, especially for those of us who have grown up in the church for a long time, because the first two questions, those can be answered with knowledge or with reason. Like, you can learn those things. You can learn, of course, if you think about it, you reason it out. Yeah, apologetics, God loves me. 
so much. God sees what's at stake in my life. It only makes sense. But this third question cannot be answered with knowledge. It can't be learned. It has to be answered upon relationship. And not just any relationship, but that of the deep kind. Now, I don't mean to say that like that all of us here don't have a relationship with God if we've chosen to accept Christ. You guys do, and you have it in the full, but that does not mean that your relationship with God is deep. So, right? You know what's so beautiful about this passage? It's that David doesn't say, but I, David, have trusted in your theology, O God. I've trusted in this book by C.S. Lewis or Tim Keller, which I've read a thousand times. I've trusted in all these Bible verses which i memorized. I've trusted in the leadership that I do in my church. No, no, he doesn't say any of that. He says, but I have trusted in your love. And don't get me wrong, theology, Bible verses, books that we read by Christian authors, these are all great things that we need. But they don't do anything all without the context of a relationship. My greatest proof for this? There is someone who knows so many things about God, probably more than everyone in this room combined, and his name is Satan. I would venture to say, I mean, this might be a little controversial, but I would say that Satan probably knows more things about God than we do. It only makes sense. He's lived many more years than we have. He's a supernatural being, and we're very natural. He's He's his biggest enemy, so it makes sense that he would study him and learn about him and interact against him. So he knows a lot of things about God, and yet he doesn't know God himself. There is a truth for all of us that I need to hear, and that we all need to hear more constantly, and it's this idea that knowing things about God is wholly different than knowing God himself. Knowing things about God is wholly different than knowing God himself. Phrase that question. Do we know things about God more than we know God Himself? Because the reality is, is that things about God will not lead ultimately to trust. Trust breeds relationship, and relationship breeds trust. We need to be constantly, again and again, going to God and saying, God, I trust you because I love you. You love me. Knowing things about God will help, but we cannot fall upon them. So this series, the series is called Practical. Uh, P. Steve says I need, to, I need to get very practical. So Pastor Steve, this is for you if you're listening to this. How do we get practical with trust? What does trust actually look like in life? So I came up with three. As I studied this psalm, what does trust in God practically look like in our own lives? Well, number one, trust is complete with emotion, not void of emotion. There has been this uh, really great truth that the church has typically ruined in a lot of ways. And that it makes sense why, as I explain it. We're like, we've taken this a very good idea of like the fact that the closer we are to God, the more holy we are, the more happy we should be. Like this, this idea of holiness equals happiness and there's some truth to that, right? Like, the more you get to know Christ, the more you know God and how sovereign he is, the more, like, joy you'll feel, the more peace you'll feel. But a lot of us have gotten it wrong because we've taken this idea and we're not there yet in these moments. And you see this all the time. People are, like, struggling. They're, like, breaking down. And then they suddenly go, huh, like, shalom. Like, God's got this, right? And that's good if you're there. But a lot of us are not there. And there's a lot more going on here as they see these words that isn't matching up with right here with their relationship with God. And the reality is that God wants 
all of us, like all of who we are, not just our peace and our happiness. As we read the psalm, it can be tempting to say in verse 5, well, David was like saying it like, well, I have trusted in your love, right? But we don't know that. We, there's no indication to know that he feels that way as he's talking. And if you read all of his other psalms throughout the Bible, if anything, it points to the opposite direction. The fact that he's wrestling with pain, he's wrestling with frustration and sorrow and grief and all these anger and all this anger as he's working through this thing, but he genuinely still says, I'm going to trust you, God. And I think for us, that is our call to say, God, we can still trust you when we're angry. We can still trust you when we're doubting. We can trust you when we don't feel anything at all. These things are not contrary to trust. They are fully in sync with it. Trust is complete with emotion. Number two, trust is also continuing in doing what is good and what is right. As I mentioned before, some of us, maybe we've been working through some things for a long time. We've been wondering, how long is it going to happen? And we've been praying, we've been reading the Bible, we've been doing, like talking to the people we're trying to reconcile with, we're doing all these things, and it just doesn't seem like it's working. Truth is, is that doing the right thing has never been about does it work or not. Obeying God has never been about is does this work or not. It's been entirely about trusting in the loving and wise arms of our Father and giving Him what's due. If you're in that spot where you feel like it's just not working, I would encourage you, just keep trying. Keep going. Rely on His strength and keep persevering because just because it's not quote-unquote working does not mean that it's not good. And God still calls us to do these things and you just don't know when He's going to act. That's not to say we shouldn't be proactive if things aren't, like if we're doing something that should be corrected, but our initial inclination should be Let's keep persevering. Let's keep giving this to God. And thirdly, trust is confessing that your vision is limited and might be even wrong. The Bible says, and this only makes sense, that God's ways are higher than ours, that his definition of love is far superior than our definition of love, that this goodness that we've been asking for might be actually badness to God. And all these things, that how we define success and failure and good and suffering in this world might actually be a little bit incorrect. And even though I know a lot of us have studied a ton, we've read a lot of books like The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis, all these incredible books, well, our vision is still limited. And we need to confess that to God. I mean, if any of us have grown a plant before, I know this analogy gets overused all the time. If we've grown a plant before, we know that most of the growth happens unseen to the eye. And God is moving in ways that we cannot ever interpret or understand ourselves. And just when we've, we've been close or tempted to call a plant dead or stagnant, we realize that, no, 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 God's actually been working here all the time. We just didn't know it. So confess that we might be wrong and be ready to be corrected. What does trusting in God look like? It looks like it is full and complete of emotion. It looks like continuing and doing what is right. And it looks like confessing that our vision might be limited and even wrong. Let's finish with our story of Andy on the plane. Remember Andy? Andy's on the plane. He's in the clouds and he's flying through. And he looks out the window and it's just complete darkness. And the whole plane's shaking. He's grabbing onto his armrest thinking to himself, this is it. This is where it's going to end. And as he continues in this plane, which feels like an eternity, finally it breaks through the clouds. And he looks through the window and he can't see anything still. 
Except this time, it's not the fact that it's too dark. Well, it's actually the opposite. It's way too bright for him. And as I imagine, he's wincing and like rubbing his eyes and looking through the window. Finally, his eyes adjust, and he just sees this bright and blinding sun. And he looks down, and he sees all of these clouds. And he recounts his experience in these words. He says, well, we got through the clouds, and it looked like, it looked like California. It was that sunny and bright and beautiful sun. It's like I had almost forgotten for a second that the sun even existed. And I had this moment where I was like, the sun, well, the sun is still here. It was here the whole time. I just couldn't see it. There are parts of life where we, we may feel like we're in some pretty deep clouds, and maybe we feel like that right now. And even though it may feel like the, play, the airplane of our lives is crumbling beneath us and it's about to fall apart any moment, and as we grab into the armrests in front of us, whatever that might be, may we remember this. The sun is still here. It was here the whole time. We just couldn't see him. We couldn't see him, the true son of God. In Jesus, may we know that we have a love from the Father who cares for us more than we could ever wish for. In Jesus, may we know that we have a God who sees everything at stake in our lives and even more, and he's strategizing. And in Jesus, may we know that God calls us to place our very trust in him every day, again and again and again. Even though we may not know what the next day or the next year or how long this is going to last, we know the ending because Jesus has written the ending. And we know that Jesus is going to get us there safely. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for the ways in which you call us to something bigger than what we could ever want. God, the reality is is that for some people in this room, they might be going through a tough time or it's painful or it feels like they've been asking for something for so long and it feels like you're just not listening. God, I feel for these people. I don't even know how much pain they're going through right now, how much frustration and sorrow. So God, I pray that you would please be the empathy and the comfort in their lives that they need. God, to know that you do understand how they feel. God, that you do care for each and every one of these people. Father, thank you, God, that you give us a promise of something better. God, thank you that you give us a promise that you will help us through these times, God, and that you're always here. You're fully here, God, that you love us, You see what's at stake in our lives, God, and that you call us to place our very all in trust in you. Give us courage in today, God. We thank you. We pray. Amen.